0: Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
2: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
3: For the old, electric Cox is young. All
2: right,
3: look at this. We're starting a show we didn't even know. I'm just sitting here shooting the breeze with John McMullen. What hmm. better way to start a morning for me? And now for you guys, since you've yeah. joined. We are Birds 365. John, you know what today is?
4: It is, uh post-Monday Night Raw. That's no, what not. we're talking about. For, for, <laughs> for, the show. for you and the way, I, that's what think it is. We, but I don't even, know
3: about all our Birds 365 listeners. Yeah, people no. think we're
4: running down Eagles news. No, the, that's second Big news. calendar, buddy. The calendar? We yes. are a week away from training One camp. week from the opening of Eagles
3: camp. That is correct, my friend. So the season is just around the corner. We're going to have you down on the grass getting fist bumps from uh, Nick Sirianni, Don't know if you're going to actually get uh, rock, paper, scissors, but you will be there watching the birds get ready for the upcoming season. And I said this last night on my uh, WIP show. I'm actually pretty pumped up that the Phillies are in the race. I'm not saying they're winning anything, but they're above 500. They're in the race. Shoot, the Mets came back and got two come from behind wins the last two days. Prior to that day, it looked pretty damn shaky. But uh, they, they Phillies have put themselves into a little distance from the Washingtons and the Atlantas of the world. I need this. I need the Phillies to be good because the Sixers crapped out. The Flyers were not good at all. The Eagles were god-awful last year. It's been a while since we had a winning team. And hope springs eternal with the Birds because at least they're shaking it up. I don't know if they're good enough. You and I have them just below 500 for the upcoming season and Uh, I don't know about you, but I reserve the right to change my mind on that. Either up or down between now and the second Sunday of September. But I'm ready for a football season because the last couple of sports seasons in this town have not been great.
4: Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I think the Sixers, it's expectations turning into disappointment. It certainly wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a bad team. The Flyers were a bad team. The Phillies, You know, hey, what are they, two and a half out as we speak? And, uh, you know, if you look in the National League, the Giants and Brewers and uh, who? uh, Dodgers, they're the ones running away with it. So they're going to be in the mix. I mean, the Mets aren't running away with anything, and they're going to be in the mix for the second wild card. So it's always fun when your team is involved. And I do think that helps get the city of Philadelphia to Eagles training camp And really through Eagles training camp, because I think you have that lull after the first week and everybody gets to the point of, oh, this is boring. I forgot this is boring. Let's get to September whatever it is, 13th.
3: What uh, Are you telling me Eagles preseason games don't get your skin tingling?
4: Oh, they get my skin tingling. But I'm saying the average, the casual fan. Remember, they can't go to Lehigh now, Jody. They can't go to Westchester if you're, really old, they they can't go to the care unless you're a big-time marketing sponsor. And I don't even know how they're going to handle that in the COVID world. So very limited opportunities for fans to see their team. You have the two open practices at Lincoln Financial Field, but it's not like it was. I'll tell you that. And by the way, since you went there, I'll follow up there.
3: Uh, every day on Pro Football Talk, uh, there's a note as to Team X and how many open practices they are going to have. Sometimes you'll get two in one day because teams didn't lock up their schedules till like this past week. So for the past several weeks, you've seen a note as to how many open practices each team is going to have. And John, it seemed to me like almost every team in the league had double digit days that they're going to have open practices. 10, 12, 14 open practices. The Eagles have two. That's it. Two open practices. So even though teams seem to be playing, because there's only a handful of teams that are actually going away for uh, their entire training camp and spending it on a college campus or like in the Cowboys case on the other side of the country, um, there, there aren't that many teams that are doing that more anymore. But there are teams that are somehow finding a way to have open practices for the fans And Eagles just aren't supplying that for their fan base.
4: Yeah, I think a lot of that is logistics. Like certain places, they built facilities for this. And I always bring up Dallas, Minnesota, Los Angeles as an example. They have built facilities that can hold fans. They have stadiums in their facilities, small sort of like high school stadiums. Now, in in the case of uh, Dallas and Minnesota, they have hotels if fans want to stay there. Uh, they have built sort of like a village. The Los Angeles one is supposed to be insane because NFL media is also going to be housed there uh, from a national standpoint. So the Eagles are kind of behind the eight ball when it comes to facilities. They always talk about the Novacare complex. I got to tell you, Joey, they're behind the eight ball. I mean, things are are moving quickly. When it comes to facilities and NFL teams who have a lot of money, I know David Tepper in Carolina is a very rich guy. He's talking about building a a new state-of-the-art facility. I'm not sure how far he's gotten. I think they're breaking ground. But there's not a lot of room at the NovaCare Complex. The Eagles, when it rains, they don't even have a full-size football field to practice on. Um, Now, they have this huge parking lot called the Naval Lot, where the old Naval Hospital used to be. But that's owned by the city. There's plenty of space to expand, but a lot of politics involved there. So they don't have the space to handle a lot of fans at the Novacare complex. They just don't. How many years has the Novacare complex been open? That's a good question. I, I would have to look it up. It certainly predates me. Um, and at the time, it was, as as all these things are, you look at it, from a facility standpoint, uh, uh, Jody, you think about stadiums and arenas, how quickly they become outdated oh, from the new stadium. Unbelievable. Yeah. Same thing with facilities. I mean, when they built that thing, it was state of the art. Yep. Now it's not state of the art. That's the problem. And, and especially when you're talking about training camp and pants, where are you going to put them? I mean, where are you going to put them? They, have, they don't even have bleachers. They have a couple, uh, you know, Places where you can sit, where maybe conceits. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do a, a crowd estimate, maybe 250 people. Certainly not more than that. And with social distancing, and it's even less. It's yeah. even worse. And,
3: and I'm not suggesting uh this year, but looking forward, because this year is what it is, and I got two practices. But going forward, I don't know that it's ever gonna expand again until they decide to take it away from the Norfolk Care Complex, and I don't think that decision's coming anytime soon. So we'll see. That That's why we're going to do what we do, John, because we here at Birds 365 are going to try and provide that link to the Philadelphia Eagles this year. Pardon the pun, Link Financial, um, for the Eagles, because you're just not going to be able to get out and see them enough, or as much as you would probably like. And I'm glad to say that uh, if you do somehow, because you're a major corporate sponsor— end up going to an Eagle practice this year, you're going to see Fletcher Cox there, which I couldn't believe yesterday. I went on uh, phillyboys.com and your friend, your buddy, your coworker, I'm divorcing him from the uh, Malton mafia. Uh, you're out. Uh, K- Kemsky. Jimmy Kemski suggesting that the Eagles should seriously consider trading Fletcher Cox before this season starts. Well, a couple things on that. Number one, the Eagles desperately need Fletcher Cox. He's he might be the best football player on the Philadelphia Eagles. There's a lot of ways to determine that. Uh, I can come up with a couple that would say the best player on the Philadelphia Eagles is Fletcher Cox. So in a season where we don't know how good the Eagles going to be coming off four eleven 11 and one. I'm not into trading the best player on my team going in for what? A draft pick, which isn't going to help the Eagles this upcoming year and or probably the next year, cause I don't think it would be a one. It'd be no better than a two. Uh, so uh, twos are a little bit more of a crapshoot than ones are when it comes to immediately stepping in and helping the football team. Uh, yes. Would it clear up some salary cap space for the Eagles? Yes, it would. Well, what are they going to use that salary cap space for this year? Uh, I understand the logic that uh, Fletcher is getting older I still think he's a dominant football player. So he's not old, in my mind. Older, yes. And will at some point he be a player where he's probably getting more paid more than he can actually produce on the field? Yeah, probably. Not this year and not at this stage of this year. If you were going to really take Jeff Laurie at his word, which was transition when they uh, told Doug Peterson he wasn't coming back as head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, if you're transitioning, then right at the beginning of the off season, and teams have cap flexibility, okay, I can see it then. And you throw up your hands and go, "All right, 2021 is a rebuild. It's transition. Use whatever phrase you want. We're not going to be good, and we're advertising that we're not going to be good." All right, I can I can at least wrap my head around Fletcher Cox not being here now. July leading up to the season. No chance, no shot. Why do we even go down that road?
4: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. There's no chance, no shot of it. I mean, if you look at his contract, Jody, 2022 would be the year, probably the trade him just from a salary cap standpoint. But I, I, I think where it comes down to, and I think Jimmy made the comparison with Zach Ertz, you know, you have to make decisions and – You know, if you if you wait a bit, this is the hardest thing in professional sports. You're the son of a general manager. If you wait a little bit too long, you lose uh, value. And And if you give up, if you do it too soon, you give up a really good player. So that's that's what we're all trying to do as far as talking about player personnel and making these types of decisions. As far as Fletcher goes, I agree with you. He's still the best player on the Eagles. He's 30 years old. I got a kick out of it because he turned 30, I think, in December, Fletcher's birthday. And somebody asked him when we talked to him in the offseason, they said, now that you're in your 30s, and Fletcher said, I'm not in my 30s. I'm 30. I'm not in my 30s. Uh, So I think it's funny. He's very aware how this league looks at over 30 players and I think everyone is, and rightfully so, because they start saying, oh, he's 30, and they start looking for the decline, and that's the second part of it. But while we say Fletcher's still a really good player, there's this perception that I don't necessarily agree with that he hasn't been as good as he once was. And when we talk about defensive linemen, Jody, what does it always come down to? Sacks. Oh, he doesn't have as many sacks. He's not as good as he once was. I don't agree with that. I, I, there are so many things that factor into it. He's the guy who's always getting double teamed. He's the guy who's uh, opening up things for his teammates, and they have to take advantage of it, and they haven't been able to do that as successfully in recent seasons. Although I would say the defensive line as a whole played pretty well last season, as they usually do. It was probably the strength of the team overall. So you have to factor that into it. And then lastly, Jody, I would say it just comes down to the fact that everybody thinks this team is going to stink. And I don't – I'm not on that uh, train yet. I, I don't think they're going to be great, but the assumption is, well, when Fletcher starts to decline, we're not going to be good until then anyway, so why not move them now? That is the thought process. I don't agree with it. We we know, Jody, this league is built on parity. It is built on parity. The difference between a good team and a bad team is razor thin, man. And I always say, you've heard me say this, when you're an NFL fan, you can talk yourself into things. I guarantee you going into week one, here's what I'm saying, Jody. Eagles fans are going to be going, oh, my, how are we going to stop Kyle Pitts? And how are we going to stop Calvin Ridley and Matt Ryan? We don't have any cornerbacks. And Falcons fans, meanwhile, are going to be going, oh, man, the Eagles are better than people think. Jalen Hurts can move the sticks with his legs, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, blah, blah, blah. You can talk yourself into things in the NFL because everybody is so close. Everybody's so close, you don't give up your best player.
3: Simple See, as that. Here's the difference between John McMullen and Jordan McDonald's. John gives you a version where fans on both teams are looking at the glasses half empty. That the Eagle, oh, we got can't stop this way, can't stop the way. oh, we. if you're a Falcon fan, oh we're not you know, we're young and pitch isn't gonna be there. I think it's the exact opposite. I think both teams will be talking themselves into a win. In that first week, the Eagles, out. Oh, Jalen Hurts, people don't know about him. He's going to be able to run the football. Nick Sirianni's got them all pumped up. They're all having fun. Look at the smiles on their faces. They're ready for game number one. We're going to go down to Atlanta. We're going to win that one. And the Falcon fans are going to say, great coaching change for us. We've got an offensive genius. We're going to actually be competitive in that division. No, they talk themselves into positives. Then reality kind of kicks you in the teeth.
4: Like no, well, what I was let year. me let me clarify. I wasn't saying everybody, I should have said a portion of the fan base is always hand wringing. And I'm saying if you're looking for reasons to hand wring, you can find them in the NFL because it's not college, it's not where you know going into a season, our buddy Xander Alabama's team, what are you going to give them? Nine ten wins going into the season. Maybe they have two, three tough games they could potentially lose if they have a horrific season. No, in the NFL, everybody can, bite, can jump up and fight you. That's what I'm trying to say. So if you're looking for reasons to talk yourself into things, you can find them. And I'm saying the people who think the Eagles are going to be awful and say, oh, they're so terrible. No, they're not. They have Fletcher Cox. They have Brandon Grant. They have Jason Kelsey. They have Brandon Brooks. They have Lane Johnson. Now, the majority, and we've said this numerous times, the majority of their really good players are aging. And a lot of them have injury issues. And those are all legitimate concerns. But even the worst teams in the NFL, and pick whoever you want, have really, really good players. Really good players.
3: You were making a point about Fletcher Cox, that his sack numbers might not be what they once were in his career year. I I look at defensive tackles completely different than defensive ends and or pass rushing outside linebackers if you're playing 3-4. If you're a legitimate tackle and you're getting picked off by two guys on almost every single play, no, your job is disruption. Your job is to draw that second blocker so that your speed guy on the outside can loop past the tackle and get to the quarterback. I, I look at uh, stat, stat sack numbers completely differently when you're talking about a tackle than you do a defensive. And then, yes, we grouped them all together as defensive linemen. Um, but I, I'm not holding that against Fletcher. And uh, I Jimmy generated a little interest because he got us talking about it. And he's probably got you talking about. Not happening. Uh, Yes, John, remember last week at the end of the week, I said, give me the percentage chances of this happening. Zach Ertz being somewhere else, uh, Landon Dickerson getting signed, the Eagles trading for a quarterback. You said zero, zero, and zero. Guess what? John McMullen was right. Zero. Nothing happened over the weekend. Zero chance Fletcher Cox is traded before the season starts. Not happening. I know that's a theory, and we can create any theory we want, Yeah, that's one that just doesn't work for me. All right. Speaking of statistics, uh, we got a uh, guest coming up joining us, a guy who's very big into the statistics. We had his pal on yesterday. Once again, we're going to the Football Outsiders to give us a statistical look at the upcoming season. Mike Tanya's going to join us next here on Birds 365.
0: I get scared sometimes.
5: Of a lot of things.
0: Joining in.
5: Decisions. it's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's armies. And then there's army. Then there's armies. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Birds
3: 365 Tuesday. Yes, training camp week. Show. we've got uh one week until the camps open specifically here in philadelphia a couple nfl ones will open up uh prior to that team playing in the hall of fame game but the nfl is right around the corner and we're here to break things down in the national football league with an eagle slant to it and here to help us do it is mike tanya for football outsiders mike you got the mac and mac guys here on Street 365 thanks for jumping aboard
6: it's great to be here. Greetings from Louisville. I flew all the way from Mountie from New Jersey at the base of the Whitman Bridge to Louisville to talk about Eagles training camp on the other <laughs> side of the Bridge. Well, what are you doing in Louisville, Mike? Number it's, one. It is the launch for the Football Outsiders Almanac, okay. and we're doing a lot of media down here. Edge Sports, our parent company, is based down here in Louisville. So what we're doing is eating a lot of steak. We're eating a lot of biscuits. We're eating a lot of barbecue, but we're also talking about the launch of the uh, Football Outsiders Almanac.
4: It Very is nice. tremendous, yeah, and I tweeted that yeah out yesterday with Aaron, footballoutsiders.com, you can get it on Amazon, and, you know, Aaron showed us how thick that thing is, Mike, I think 525 pages or something,
3: yeah, look dead. at that thing.
4: That could... That yeah, could do that, damage. If you took one weapon. of those upside the head, you could yep. get yeah. knocked out cold. That's a weapon. <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't know. Mike just mentioned uh Mountie from New Jersey. Mike was a high school teacher of Joe Flacco. So yep. you can give him credits uh, for the reason uh, Joe can figure out the numbers in the box. I think that's all. I think you take credit for that. Is that correct, Mike? I taught Joe Flacco everything he knows
6: <laughs> about calculus.
3: Calculus okay. Well, as, totally as,
6: yeah,
3: as John pointed out, sometimes figuring out a defense in the National Football League yes. is calculus. So, uh, Flacco did learn well from you guys. Um, I right, here's why I want to start because John and I were just talking about it before you joined us. Um, Fletcher Cox, uh, yeah. one of our local scribes who you know, Jimmy Kempstey, said, You know, maybe the Eagles should think about trading Fletcher Cox. I dismissed that out of hand, <laughs> and I don't think the drop off with Fletcher Cox. Is drastic at all. All right, maybe he was slightly better in a previous season, but he was pretty damn good last year in a really bad Eagle season. Give me the football outsider crunching number look at Fletcher Cox as he goes into his age 30 season.
6: Still playing at a very high level, still a significant player. And I think Jimmy would agree with that. And I think the issue is more on the lines of, you know, a contender would still pay a premium for this individual because everyone can see he's still that level of disruptive. He still gets a lot of Harries, He's still a high-impact player in the run game. And when you're the Eagles and you're clearly in transition, I think that's what the Eagles use. When you're rebuilding, this is a, a building block that you can turn and say, hey, Seahawks, are you interested in Fletcher Cox? What, what would you part with, et cetera? So I can see it from that standpoint. That said, we got to watch this team on Sundays. we got to be rooting for somebody. I give you credit, John, because you said 0% for Fletcher, 0% for Zach Ertz. I thought Zach Ertz would be gone by now. Um, But, you know, there's something to be said for rebuilding and tanking, and football outsiders will say, well, when you rebuild, you should get those draft picks. There's something to be said about watching the team every Sunday and not being asleep by halftime. And But Fletcher Cox and Zach Ertz gives this
4: team a chance to win some games this year. Yeah, and, Mike, I don't think Zach is going to be here at the end. I'd like Like most people thought Zach would be gone by now, but once you get to this point of the calendar, I think it's pretty clear how he's playing bad cop. So to speak, he's going to try to wait for maybe a training camp injury. Maybe a tender needs a tight end. It worked with uh, uh, Carson went to Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater injury years ago. Odds are against it, but ultimately I think, you know, once you've gone this far, you might as well go in August. So that's, where I'm kind of with Zach Ertz, but I do want to, I do want to shift to you from this mentality. And and you guys have been breaking down every team in the NFL and you know, there's worse to first every year in this league. It happens every year. Uh, The parody in this league, I just talked about when you, before you came on, yeah, the Eagles don't look good right now. But until you see them on Sundays and Until you see them on game day, everybody's got good players. So you guys do something interesting, the ceiling of a team and sort of the the floor of a team. So what do you think the ceiling versus the floor is for the Philadelphia Eagles?
6: Well, I'll give you the projections directly out of the book since I have it in front of me now. Super Bowl odds, 1.7%. You know, all so, right. something.
4: <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. There's a, 2%, not a
6: zero. Not a zero. Two percent chance things happen all the time in the world. It's a higher chance than the Jets have. And the, the guys on NFL Network were talking about, you know, maybe the Jets will have double digit wins this year. Like they're like seriously <laughs> talking about that. The, the Eagles have a better chance than that. Certainly better chance than the Jaguars. Certainly uh, playoff odds. I'm just going to round it for you to 28%. So. That's a different conversation. Of course, we have that's a significant, I, by the way.
4: That's yeah, pretty that's, significant.
6: Right, right. You got a w- one quarter chance. And that probably means winning the NFC East. Let's be blunt. We don't see a lot oh, of Cowboys okay. coming out of this yeah. division. Now, I look at that personally and say, that means it's a 28% chance of the Cowboys going full Cowboys and collapsing and, <laughs> and giving us a chance to rise to the top there, giving the Eagles a chance to rise to the top there. But it's significant. It's there. That said, it's truly a long shot. I'll tell you uh, – the chances of uh, being, what is it, on the clock, zero to five wins. Yeah. Like a terrible season. Also 27%. As likely a chance of being, talking about the first, second overall pick next year as being a playoff team.
3: Well, that that is where we're looking oh, at as the season gets <laughs> underway. Uh, I, I want to get a specific player in for you who okay. I think is going to be key guy for the Birds this year. And that's Miles Sanders. Because okay. – we know what happened to him statistically last year. He was very effective at running the ball, as John mm-hmm. likes to call him. He's a home run hitter. Yes. Uh, he's a power guy. It's uh, When he makes plays, they can be big plays, walk-off mm-hmm. type plays. But just average grinding it out, day in, down in, down out, not as good as some of the other backs in the league. Right. And last year we saw a drop-off in his pass-catching numbers. Right. You would think year two gets more used to doing it at the speed of the NFL. He was much better as a rookie than he was as a second-year player at catching the ball out of the backfield. Now, yeah. a lot of people come into that. It could have been the offensive line, not given time place, time to set up. It uh, yeah. could have been Carson Wentz, ability to deliver the football where he yeah. needed to. And when you crunched all your numbers, wh- why did Miles Sanders have as drastic a drop-off in the past game for the Eagles as he did last year?
6: I think a lot of it was Wentz's reluctance to throw those short passes. I mean, you saw that, especially as it went on closer and closer to him getting benches, launch it, launch it downfield. I mean, you know, guys who do X's and O's will show examples of, well, here's the flat pass, and this would have been available for a seven, eight-yard game, but Carson didn't like that and went elsewhere. So, you know, what happens next? I mean, we have a pretty good, solid projection for Sanders. And football outsiders – likes the home run back better than the grinder because the grinder loses like one-tenth of a step and they're a guy doing 2.8 yards of carry. You know, they're Michael Haddix who so go way back and like they're <laughs> done, their Andrew to Andrew, uh, Anthony Tony. Um, whereas the home run hitter usually has more to give and can be more of a playmaker. So we expect that. Also, you know, we love that the, the rookie that they got out of Memphis and here's a guy who can come in and, and play that role as well. What we don't know is will Hurts like that? Uh, yeah, will Hurts like that kind of uh, player? Will he want to take those dump offs? And we don't know a lot about this current offense and what the role is going to be for running backs
4: in Sirianni's offense. You bring up a good point. With you don't know a lot about this offense. None of us hmm. do, Mike. We don't know what Nick Sirianni is going to do. We can speculate <laughs> on based on Frank Wright. Same right. thing with Jonathan Gannon on the defensive side of the ball. We can look at Mike Zimmer and Matt Eberflus and say, well, he's probably going to do this. Yep. But we don't know, and certain guys, when they get in that position, they want to bring their own twist to things. So yeah. how difficult is it to evaluate teams with first-year head coaches, rookie head coaches in the case of Nick Sirianni, versus you know, guys who are entrenched and you know and you're very comfortable with?
6: We generally just sort of have like a default setting we put in for a rookie coach. Not, not a returning coach because then you can put things in. Oh, this yeah. is the second stop. Mike McCarthy or somebody like that. Uh, and what we usually anticipate is that there, there there's a lot of time there is a, a boom at the beginning of the season. And then later in the season, you can almost, it, it wears off. Like, so that's like, oh, he has the element of surprise. Other team couldn't prepare for it. Rah, rah, just boom, bah, the kids go running out for the new coach. If he's not, you know, Matt Patrician, he didn't tick them off on the first, uh, first day of <laughs> training camp. Uh, so you, you anticipate that and you put it down and then you get a, a something that you can put a track record in after that. So that's the same thing we did with you know, Judge last year for the, for the Giants. And I think actually the Giants were kind of all over the place last year. But that generally tends to be the case. Like there's some surprises, but then it wears off. And that's not what you do with a Ron Rivera or a McCarthy because you can plug in some kind of track record of success and go on from there.
3: One of the things I'm interested in that uh, you guys put out, and I just want to know how you went about doing it, We're going to a 17-game season in the NFL, listening to both the NFL Network, ESPN, anyone has got podcasts. The biggest season in the history of the National Football League. Well, because they added one more game. Technically, they're right, but I'll judge how big a season it is after it gets going. Thank you very much. (laughs) We know they're adding another game. You guys speculate on numbers and what you think is going to happen and uh, what player is going to accrue as far as stats go. Do you just, like, add 6%? Because uh, 117 is about a 6% I'm yeah. rounding off here. addition. But it's also that much more wear and tear on the players. And it may be handled differently by different teams. I'm mm-hmm. not suggesting, like, uh, the NBA where guys just take off because you right. want to save <laughs> their bodies for the entire year. It is one more game. How did you guys deal with that statistically as you were prepping to put out numbers for the year that the fact that they're going... From 16 games to 17 games this season.
6: There's like a there's an injury variable that we'll put in for everybody, and it's kind of like green, yellow, red. So if somebody who has like a great health record, green. We we kind of factor in maybe they'll be injured for X percent of snaps. You know, somebody who's hurt all the time, then it's like a red, and it's like this person might only be available for half the season, and you base it off of that. So there's kind of like we're just adding six percent, but that's also working in the background. And the other thing is everything at Football Outsiders is opponent-adjusted. So it's not just 6%. It's an extra game against this team. If this team's the Pittsburgh Steelers, we might be adding a lot of passing yards, rushing yards, because they're going to be facing a great defense. If that team's the Jets, it might get higher, higher, higher. So we're seeing some interesting things right now. Passing records, I I think um, Patrick Mahomes' estimation is something like 5,300, 5,400 yards. That sounds like a really big number, except that he's had huge numbers like that before. You just put another game of 350 yards on there, and that's what you get. We're getting numbers like that for Prescott, too, frankly. He's going to be throwing the ball all over creation. So we're seeing things like that, but we're doing our best. We always have to bake in the probability. Not, it's not everybody's 16 games, 17 games all in. It's some of these guys are going to be unavailable. Even down to like a great quarterback might not be there for the fourth quarter of a game when they're up 48-3. to three. Even things like that, we kind of try to plug that into the variables.
4: You mentioned Dak Prescott, Aaron mentioned him yesterday. So obviously this is not going to make, uh, Eagles fans happy, Mike, but football outsiders is very high on Dak Prescott. You look at that offensive line, they're getting healthy. They're getting back similar to the Eagles. A lot of veteran talent there and the receivers on paper are just ridiculous. Um, So, yeah, I mean, he was passing for historic numbers before he got hurt last season. I Mm -hmm. think people forget about that. But they weren't winning games, Mike. No. They weren't winning games because the defense was so bad. (laughs) Why is the Dallas Cowboys – now, Dan Quinn is there, we know. Yeah. uh, So there will be a little bit of shift on the defensive side of the ball. Why do you guys think Dallas is, is ahead of Washington, the Giants, and the Eagles?
6: Well, yeah, Dan Quinn is a big deal, especially if you look at the first half of last year. It looks like guys didn't even know where to line up, and you saw the dude's just completely out of position. Looked like some of the guys might have quit a little bit on Nolan, who can be a little bit of a, of a pill. Uh, you know. So you had that going on. They haven't made a lot of changes on defense. I know they added uh, uh, the young man from Penn State, uh, linebacker, I think Parsons. I think he's has got Yeah. So uh, uh, impact. The thing is, that's a team that's going to win a lot of games by scores like 34 to 28, 31 to 27, 30, you know, 42 to whatever. That defense just has to be kind of okay. They have to be, like, not self-destructive, okay, because the reason why they, early in the season that was self-destructive and then Dak was gone and they were down to Bendanucci and things like that. So, yeah, if you're looking at the – I know Eagles fans are like, well, you know, Dak's overrated, Dak's overrated. Okay, maybe. He's probably going to be very, very good. You have to get past that. If you're looking for the Cowboys to collapse, you better hope it's McCarthy's doing something dumb. Jerry's doing something dumb. uh, Quinn isn't all that. And the defense isn't all that. Because what you want to do is outscore that team because they're going to get their points.
3: Mike, I want to ask you about timing. Timing is everything in life. Somebody once said that. They were probably pretty smart. Uh, And it certainly is for you guys at Football Outsiders. Because you have to put the book out at some point. You got it coming out this week. You've been compiling it all during the offseason. And you have a couple very fluid situations in the National Football League, like the Houston Texans, like the Green Bay Packers. So in your projections, you are drawing a conclusion about who's going to be the quarterback of that football team. Is it the guy who was there or is it going to be someone else because they're going to be elsewhere? How much arguing goes on? Hey, we can't put it out till this week. Let's wait two more days. Maybe we'll know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be traded. How much did you guys have to go through that process before you said, it's going to the printers. This is it, boys. Give us your final location of these important QBs.
6: Oh, it's a hard start. What happens is we have the arguments beforehand of how we're going to project and how we're going to write. Because there's a a deadline where it's like, if we don't put it out, we're not going to sell the book. And we have... We have bosses who are going to come down on us. Like, the Julio Jones was very late in the game. Like, that trade is like, yeah, you have to rewrite the Titans to a degree. I mean, and and the Falcons a little bit, although they were a rebuilding team. But, you know, what we did was, how are we going to approach the Aaron Rodgers situation? And Aaron Schatz kind of came down with, project with Rodgers. And if he's gone, we all know it's football. You know, if Aaron Rodgers isn't there, it's like, well, we didn't know. (laughs) Like, you you know it's lower. Go back. And we said, do the projections without Deshaun Watson, in part because there are so many variables to that, and in part because the Texans were fire sailing anyway. So it's like, you know, we put a projection, I think of like five and a half wins or something like that for the Texans. And oh, well, Deshaun is back and he has no legal troubles and they're excited. Okay, we'll go, go a little over that. So you try to base it on the logic of what the team is doing. And sometimes you have to make the best guess and realize, you know, us and everybody else trying to do an annual. We're going to put it on... We're going to put it out there and it might be obsolete in two days, but you do the best work you can on the information you have.
4: All right, Mike, that's interesting. You bring up the football outsiders war room. You guys are arguing back and forth back. So did you have a Tom Donahoe moment where you just rolled your eyes at somebody and said, oh, I don't think this team is this. You like this team or is everything just kind of boggled down in the football outside numbers? And there isn't a lot of room. I, there's got to be some give and take, or am I wrong? There's a lot of give and take. Now, Aaron and I have been doing this together 17 years,
6: so I, I don't know. It's like it would be like Parcells and Belichick. <laughs> they're like, yeah, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're going to say, and we go back and forth. We've had examples sometimes of like a, a team that we project to win 12 games, and then a younger writer brings a chapter in and he's like ripping the team and like, what? What is this? This is a 12 win projection? Get, come talk to us about it, but. Most of the time, you know, Aaron is in charge of the projections. He puts them in, and then we debate them. And we sometimes debate them heavily. This year, the Giants, because we have a very low projection on the Giants. And I had to go back to the, him, and I'm like, are you sure? Their defense was good last year. It's with the third youngest roster by our metrics, the third youngest roster in the league. What if these guys all?" And we went back and forth on it. And when I wrote the chapter, it was like, what, I basically said, well, there's kind of like you said, there's a chance there's a chance Dave Gettleman's right, and Danny Dimes is amazing, and they're going to throw the ball down the field. But the, projections, but the projection says this, and here's why, and that's how we go about it. So hopefully when we do it, it's collegial, and we create a situation we can talk about the scenarios in the book while saying these projections are the best projections you're going to get out of any annual that you're going to see in the NFL.
3: Yeah, not a Danny Dimes guy, and I haven't been since the day that he was drafted. And I know he's had a couple of games where you've had wow moments, but they're few and far between. So although I think I like Judge, and there are certain aspects of the Giants I do like, the quarterback Mm -hmm. is not one of them, and I think that will keep them from winning the division this year. Anywho, uh, let's stay in the division. Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic. Fitz Tragic. It can be any of those three when you're talking about the Washington football team. Give us the football outsiders breakdown of how often he's going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick, which is middle of the road or Ryan Fitzmagic, which is you can't believe the plays he's making and pulling out of his ear hole and the Fitz Tragic aspect, which means three or four interceptions. Uh, He's shown them all over the course of his career who's going to be the dominant persona in this year's Washington football team season.
6: We're going to see all of them from th- him this year. And uh, our stats generally like Fitzmagic. I think one of the reasons why is because historically he's had his two or three magical games. And then halfway through his five interception game, he gets benched. Like <laughs> right away. So you don't have like these three or four game runs of him being terrible. Because like, oh, screw this. We've got a rookie. Let's put the rookie. In. Let's put two in now because we're not going to deal with this. Um, because the defense is so strong there in Washington. And because they've added some pieces on offense, they added Samuel at wide receiver. They've got some young running backs coming through. McLaurin is a great receiver who hasn't had a good quarterback yet. We project that 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 team is going to be sort of in the playoff conversation. They are ahead of the Eagles in in the projections below the Cowboys there. Uh, That said, no one's saying Fitz is a long-term solution, but it's one of those situations. Denver's another one. Competent quarterbacking, or in Fitz's case, unbelievably great and an occasionally terrible quarterbacking, going to get them enough wins because they're going to be rushing the passer they're going to get a lot of sacks you know they're going to win some games by 23 16 scores and they're going to be a thorn in the side of a lot of teams this year
4: that's an interesting point mike brings up usually when we see fitz tragic that's it he yeah. gets pinched and we yeah. don't get to see him potentially bounce back i think that might be a little bit interesting and that might be the reason i kind of lean towards the Washington football team in this division because of that defense. I love that defense, Mike, but right. I, 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 do want to talk about the court and I do want to talk about Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson for this reason. Mm-hmm. The most likely scenario is Aaron's in green Bay. But as you said, if he's not, it's foobar, it's screwed up. Right. I, I want to look at it from the other perspective. And Deshaun's probably on the commissioner's example list. He's probably yeah. not playing. Right. But in the, in the, Slate Avenue that Aaron Rodgers is in Denver or Deshaun Watson is in Denver yes, or Miami or Philadelphia or Carolina or wherever. Mm -hmm. How Do you guys talk about how drastically that would shift the landscape and particularly the Eagles? Because where do the Eagles go if they have Deshaun Watson and a projection? Are they an immediate playoff contender or a team like that? I think with Deshaun Watson in the NFC East,
6: they would vault up very, very quickly because you're putting a very proven high-level quarterback into the uh, into the uh, projections in a division where there's not a proven team. There's not a ceiling above them. I think most of the scenarios we talk about are Denver because yeah. Elway loves getting the quarterbacks. He could probably get Aaron Rodgers on the phone and and bring him in there if he really chose to. Denver, with their – really strong defense with a really good offensive line. They would fall up to be a high level playoff team, but they're also in a division with the chiefs. And it's like, well, they'll go like neck and neck with the chiefs and that could possibly make them fall off. And the NFC is different. There's not as many teams like that. And bringing in a Watson or adding or subtracting a Rodgers could make that kind of move there. So if the, so there's so many ifs, if the Eagles, he uh, were to get Watson, I don't think Rodgers would ever be on the table. for that. No. no, no. Like, uh, him in the, the first press conference, he'd leave and never come back. Um, <laughs> but, but you put him in there, and, and if that happens, of course, guaranteed, Aaron runs the projections. I have a feeling we'd be talking about a very different scenario because it's just so different than saying, here's a second-year guy with five starts. Here's a guy who's led teams to the playoffs. We know what he can do with these weapons. We know what he can do to an offense.
3: Mike, I want to get you on a record about the other half of that Miami mix from last year. We brought up Fitzpatrick, Tragic Magic, whatever. uh, And the guy who eventually replaced him, but didn't really, because they kept bringing Fitzpatrick back off the bench, Tua Tungabaloa. I just flat out loved the kid when Mm -hmm. he was in college. uh, And he was the guy who actually replaced the Eagles quarterback now, Jalen Hurts, and won a championship immediately. I know injuries played into his first year it certainly played – into his draft status, how much they did. That's the kind of stuff you guys have to unearth and try and project. How much are they going to let him go this year? I'll tell you that I tried at least four or five different guests on my CBS national show Mm -hmm. to get me to get, (laughs) give me the insight on, why Tua below only threw three-yard passes last year? Right. It seemed like every pass he threw was three yards past the line of scrimmage. Right. Was that because of him? Was it because of the coaching staff? Was it because of the offense? When he was at Alabama, he threw the ball down the field. He did so pretty damn effectively. Mm-hmm. I don't know why last year played out the way that it did. Will it change going into this season? I'm saying yes. Am I going to be right?
6: It has to change. And I think he made some remarks to the effect that he wasn't as comfortable in the offense as he could have been. And remember, this was a guy during the height of COVID, on Zoom meetings like this, trying to learn an NFL playbook while rehabbing various injuries, et cetera. So he comes in there, and he might not have been as ready. Of course, Justin Herbert was ready, but it's different situations, different Mm -hmm. guys along the way. They changed coordinators out there. I think that there was probably some accountability in place for the fact that the rookie wasn't as far along as he needed to be. They added Will Fuller, they've added some pieces out there, so they have to go downfield. I, I get this weird vibe out of the Miami Dolphins that they are not completely satisfied with Tua, and that's why when they're na- when when Deshaun's name swirls and uh, Aaron Rodgers' name swirls and they go to them. Well, some of it was us playing, playing darts, it's like, oh, they've got draft picks, they've got cap space, uh, there's no taxes in Miami that will appeal to, to Aaron Rodgers, you know, mm. he makes more money there, etc. Part of it seems to be this sense that comes out of them that like they don't feel they're ready to compete this year, even though they were almost a playoff team last year. And I wonder how much of that is Tua. So I love Tua out of school too. We need to see, and I think we need to see as soon as camp opens there that this is a guy who has confidence, understands the playbook, and is ready to make, let's say, the kind of leap that Mahomes made. Because Mahomes as a rookie was like, "I'm yeah. lost. I don't know what's going on." <clears throat> I Alex Smith there, and then the next year he started yeah. crushing everybody.
4: Yeah. Uh last one from me, Mike, and before I say it, it's it's gonna be the most difficult question. Okay. So get prepared. But I want to tell everybody again to buy the Football Outsiders Almanac 2021 footballoutsiders.com, or you can get it at Amazon. And by the way, Mike, if you're gonna be at Eagles training camp, lug one of those things for me. Uh see, even I'll though, I'll weighs, even, though even though it weighs 50 pounds. But <laughs> here it is. I don't know if there is teacher-student, uh, uh, some kind of lawyer-client <laughs> privilege. Uh-huh. What what kind of student was Joe Flacco? What do we get with Joe Flacco? <laughs> is he a cerebral guy? Tell me about Joe Flacco. He, he, was, he was a phenomenal
6: student. He was the third best Flacco I ever taught. <laughs> Now, Joe, if you're hearing this, I'm uh, referring to your brother John and your sister Stephanie. They were phenomenal, absolutely. And there's no uh, Johnny went to Stanford, so I don't think there's any any question there. Yeah. But but he was a tremendous student. You know, it's it's funny because I think Audubon High School went around 500. I think we went like five and four with Joe Flacco <laughs> oh. MVP at quarterback. Um, the first couple of years we were running like the wing T. So he was like – he's this, this giant dude who could throw 70 yards. He was handing off and, like, throwing uh, flat passes to, to running backs. And, and then Ralphie Schiavo came in as a coach, and, and we spread the offense out. But he was throwing to a, a lot of five foot six wide receivers <laughs> at, at, at Audubon. So it, was, it wasn't a great glory there. Uh, but, you know, but he was a phenomenal student, great guy, absolutely great family. Family still based out of yeah. Audubon, New Jersey. So yeah, I, I'm not going to talk about what he might or may not have left in the tank as a backup quarterback. But yeah, he was a great and great individual to work. with.
4: Did you see the arm strength back then? Seriously, oh did
6: you? Oh my goodness! If, well, first of all, it's high school, and you're seeing the ball fly yeah. down the field. And like, am I seeing that? Am I seeing that? You know, two years ago, I was watching a kid who had a hard time, you know, throwing a slant or whatever. Uh, he went on his senior trip, and I didn't go with him. But the the guys came back telling stories. They're like down at Disney World in Orlando, and they've got like this field out there. And yeah, you know, like a football field, the yeah. guys would play flag on it and everything. He took the ball and started ripping passes like across this arena-sized field, and everybody at Orlando just started stopping and watching him. <laughs> and this is like 17-year-old Flacco, and again, he's listening. He was he was a head on a stick. He was so skinny back then. Yeah, so he was just like just big, and then like his body hadn't filled out yet. Just Rifling the ball downfield, strangers in Florida, like what's going on? What's going on? A couple of years later, makes the move from Pitt to Delaware, and suddenly we have a guy
4: who's a well, real quick, Mike, yeah, I think he's 36 now. 30. Yeah, I think he's 36. But first time I saw him in OTAs, man, that ball is still coming out. He just yeah. looks different. And obviously it was Jalen Hurts and Jamie Newman at the time. So mm-hmm. we're not talking about Brett Barr. But he's got the strongest arm on this team, and it's not close at 36. He can, still, he can still rip it.
6: That's great. Yeah, he has that. I mean, the mobility and things, they lose a little bit along the way. But I think he's somebody who is going to be an asset in that
3: room. Last one for me, Mike. Uh, and we're judging all of our judgments on the new head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles on basically a couple of media yeah. sessions that he's had, which is probably unfair and could mm-hmm. go right by the boards as soon as they start playing games. Mm-hmm. You guys have to try and interpret where he stopped previously in the National Football League. And is he going to change things from the team? teams? Or are he just going to adapt the things that he has? Where do you guys come from? Which is a combination of both analytics and opinion. Where do you guys fall on how Nick Sirianni is going to compare? I won't ask you to compare to Bill Belichick. That's unfair. But yeah. the other first-year coaches, guys who are getting their first shot in the NFL this year.
6: Well, we have him above Urban Meyer, who's already <laughs> who's already in trouble with the union and bringing in Tebow and doing all of these uh, these things like that. So you know and. and it's similar to that guy the, the uh, Chargers picked up, Staley, yeah, yeah. Uh, comes in and it's like, well, what do we know best about these this guy? Well, he was a defensive coordinator under uh, Wade Phillips. He was trained by Wade Phillips. And he did go out and he coached one good year with the Rams and Aaron Donald, which I could say, go get him, Aaron Donald. And I think I'd be a good coach. So, like, we put him in there. And that's where we're at with Sirianni. It was like, well, Frank Wright gets very, very high grades. He's coming from a, a he's coming into a system where there's a familiarity through you know he's part of the Peterson tree he's part of the Andy Reid tree etc. We put him in on that place. So uh, one thing we try to do like from an opinion standpoint it's like I'd rather have this guy obviously than Meyer than Dan Campbell talking about chewing people's kneecaps off and you know, cannibalism <laughs> and all that weird stuff because you know that wears off after three or four games etc. But then you then you have to reserve judgment. And that's kind of what we do at Football Outsiders. Like, unless you have a reason to come in and say, you know, this is Adam Gase and it's going to be a disaster. You reserve judgment. You put in like regular first year coach. And again, you sort of do that. Might be high at the beginning, low at the end when he gets figured out. But uh, it's something that the team could potentially build on. All
3: right, Mike, one more time. If you got it handy, give us a peek at the uh, Football Outsiders Almanac all 500 and change pages of it. Damn, that that is. If you hit someone with that, you're going to be arrested for assault <laughs> with a deadly weapon. You could do damage with that thing. And you could do damage for your fantasy football season yes. coming up this year. Make sure you grab uh, their periodical before the season gets underway. Mike, thanks for hopping on. Continue to join the fine cuisine down there in Louisville. We'll get you back on with us soon enough.
6: We'll do it. I'm gonna put one of these in the Eagles media room. And John, you can get it before Jimmy steals it. Oh,
3: and Kemski will. Now, now
6: it's on. That's tough, Mike. You're throwing <laughs> it into the wolves,
3: man. Little, little competition going on. Yeah. Mike, thanks for coming on with us.
6: You got it. Take care, guys. Enjoy.
3: John McMullen, Jody McDonald, you're Mac and Mac guys here on Bridge 365. All right, one quickie before we go to break. Of the Eagles media, and you know who we're talking about, the guys that you're sharing grass time with. Who's the quickest?
4: Um, well, it, you got to go with the young guys. There's so many young guys now. So Jimmy would be in that conversation. Is he? Is he quick?
6: Uh, he got Jimmy's, got,
4: Jimmy's got length. Brandon's yeah. got length. Brandon's, Brandon's got a lot of length. Brandon Lee Gaulton. Who's about six nine for DLG's a know. monster, yes. Yeah, he's he's about six nine. <laughs> uh, uh you got some of these young guys with you know, the inquirer's bringing in a young guy. Let's put it this way it ain't me, Jody. Yeah, it's not not me. Not you, yeah. They got a lot of young guys in it. No more less less is gone. Dama. I'm in that category. I'm in the less and domo category.
3: Uh then you better get that uh outside all Yeah, I'm not getting it. You, Mike, you better Mike's, get it delivered to the house
4: cause the, yeah, if it's a it, scramble in the media room the uh, not wolves. happening
3: for Johnny Mac yeah, yeah that ain't happening All right, uh, but he's good to sit in and uh, do birds 365 with me Jody McDonald John McMullen. we'll come back got a good hour number two coming your way
0: I get scared sometimes
5: of a lot of things
0: joining in
5: decisions It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
3: Johnny Mac and Jody Mac. Mac Mac, guys, we've 365. The countdown is on. We are one week away from the opening of Eagles training camp, which means the regular season is just around the corner too. We'll continue to uh, throw some topics in there, make some predictions in there, rip some people in there as we get that much closer to a 2021 NFL season. Uh, Johnny Mac, I need to bring this to your attention uh, because you know, I am the biggest nervous. Nelly when it comes to certain things, And it was uh, put out there in the media ethos that the Jacksonville Jaguars got their two first-round draft picks signed, Trevor Lawrence early, Travis Etienne as well, and both were getting zero offset language in their contract. None. Nunca. Zip. Zero. Zilch. They get all their money if the worst-case scenario happens to befall either of those two players. And you've continued to tell me the reason that Lander Lander Dickerson is not signed. The only Eagle draft pick not signed is because they're probably debating and negotiating offset language. Well, we have precedent in the NFL this year that some teams are willing to cave on that one. In particular, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and say, yeah, 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 we got faith that you're going to be here. We loved you when we picked you. We love you now. Yeah, we're not going to cut you anytime soon. So, yeah, no offset language. You're going to get it all during the life <laughs> yeah. of the contract. There's a precedent there, buddy. And Landon Dickerson, if you are right, your source is telling you or just your overall football insight, that is the holdup, the offset language. It come camp on next Tuesday, maybe that Landon Dickerson uh, signature on a piece of paper, not ready to be done. <laughs> and it is well, something
4: you're going to take a victory lap if Landon's not there on Tuesday. Oh yes, I am. Uh, I will say this: that it is football insight um, more than sources. Um, there's generally two things, as I've said. There's two things: there's offset language, <clears throat> and there's timing of the bonus payments, which you know people tend to want their money as quickly as possible. Now, the, and this is pure speculation. Landon is um, obviously has a significant injury history. Um, so the Eagles might be pushing for offset language. I might, I want to make this clear. I'm not reporting this. I'm just speculating. Right. They might be pushing for offset language because of the injury history. That could be one of the problems. The second part of the problem is, again, the money. Landon is, I don't want to say, I don't know, It's family situation. He's relatively, he's not hurting because he's, he's, he's willing to take this as long as possible. Some guys need money to help their family, whatever, immediately, and and they're just going to jump on the first offer. You know, you talk about the Alabama story where he built a makeshift gym during COVID so his teammates could come uh, uh, work out with him. He's he's obviously not in a situation where he's desperate and he needs the money right away. So these are some of the reasons I think it's taken a bit, a little bit longer. And as everybody has told you, Jody, you know he's got no other options. I forget who said it yesterday. Which one of our guests? Somebody. He's got. He's going in. He's not. He's not playing in the CFL. He's not playing in the the the, the, the XFL whenever the heck they start or the USFL that really isn't the USFL. Um, so he's got to be with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I, there's no other option. When you talk about offset language in first-round picks, though, it's not necessarily a precedent as much as it's each individual organization. One thing I've laughed at from organizations, remember, as a rookie first-round pick, you sign a four-year uh, four deal with a fifth-year option. So that 50-year option is already built in. If the guy stinks, you just move on. You don't pick up the 50-year option. We know how GMs in this league are, Jody. If you have a bad rookie year, you're not getting cut. They're going to say, this is a first-round pick. we got to give him a second chance. And it gets going down the road. They're not going to get rid of you. So I always said the old school thought, and I know where it comes from, Jody, because I used to be there. And if I didn't cover this league every every day, I'd probably still be there. When you had holdouts and you had this acrimony and you go back to that thought process, what we've been trying to tell you, it's not like that anymore. There is no holdout. There is no options. There are no – so when I talk about agents and, and GMs arguing about offset language, how we – always describe it as married couples who hate each other that have run out of things to argue about so they make things up that's how stinking meaningless it is because you're not cutting the guy anyway so you're trying to get back a few shekels oh if we cut him three years down the line you're not gonna cut him so why are you haggling over it it's absurd
3: okay but uh let me add this to the conversation We talk about uh, Zach Ertz, if he does or doesn't show up. If he wants to show up and Eagles don't want him to show up, would they actually say he came in but don't report to the uh, Camp complex, uh, go to a hotel or something else? Uh, The NFL this offseason changed in their collective bargaining agreement the ramifications if you don't show up for camp. That if the team wants you there and you say you're not showing up because you're not happy with the contract, you want to see it renegotiated. Oh, you're getting a, 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 a chop into your uh, check every single day. There is no giving back afterwards when you all make nice and finally shake and agree and everybody smiles. It used to be in the NFL. Yeah, by the way, we're not going to take that uh, fine money out of your check. It's all going to be there. We're good. And y'all, all get out. Um, that's no longer the case. The NFL put it into the collective bargaining agreement that if you miss time in camp, you're losing money. It's coming out of your check. No negotiation, no feel good, not going backwards. No, it's gone. As soon as you miss a day, a percentage is gone. You miss the next day. That same percentage is gone again. With an unsigned player, you're not losing anything because mm-hmm. the only way they can take money out is if you're getting money. And you're not getting any money until you put your name on the contract. So if Landon Dickerson misses day one of Eagles training camp, he's not losing any money because he hasn't signed yet. He actually has to sign to start to lose money. And that's why I have at least this much, which is more than anybody else concern that he's not going to be there day one because so what? He misses the first two days, four days, six days. eight. at some point you actually go, whoa, 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 whoa! Wait a minute. We think you may play this year. And we do want to get you up to speed, but he doesn't have to be there day number one.
4: There's no real risk to him because he isn't. Well, I'm going any to go money. down another route to get even more excited. Not only that, but he's also not ready to play. He's not yes. ready to practice. He's still rehabbing. But I will say this: he's a rookie player in the NFL. He's going to anger the organization and the coaching staff. Um, I don't know who his agent is. I got to look it up. I'll look it up in the break. Um, If he's getting that advice, he's getting bad advice. The last thing, even a high profile rookie and Landon's a high profile rookie. And he's got all these other issues. uh, And the fact that he's rehabbing, he's not going to be ready to go. So from, from a, uh, a, a pure physical standpoint, you're right. He's not going to miss anything if he comes in three, four days late. He's not going to get fined. You're right about that. But, boy, he's going to piss some people off. And do you really want to start off your NFL career pissing off Jeff Stoutland by not showing up and doing the mental work because that's just as important to him as the physical work? I, 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 he seems like too smart of a kid to me to do that, to be honest. Um, I think he's going to be here. I'm 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 saying it. July twenty first, July twenty eighth is the first practice. July twenty seventh is reporting day. I think he's going to be on the field July twenty eighth. And if he's there, take the victory. If he's not, take the victory lap, Jody. He's getting some bad advice. I w- I okay. would say that.
3: Uh, I'll just uh, tie it to another case that is similar. Um, we continue to wonder why. Zach Ertz is still here, and every time we go down that road, you say, here's what the Eagles are hoping. Someone gets hurt as far as a starting tight end in the league goes, and then Howie Roseman can come and say, we've got a starting tight end that we're ready to give you. All you got to do is give us a third-round pick. Uh, And we all subscribe to that philosophy, except then the guy actually has to get hurt for it to kick in. In the meantime, you're in no man's land. What happens if Jason Kelsey gets hurt the first day of camp that uh, Landon Dickerson hasn't signed yet, but Jason Kelsey pulls up lame the first day of camp? You don't think that they're starting to figure out how best to put Landon Dickerson into the lineup? Are you going to move, say, Amala to center or do you just put Dickerson in as a center? Yeah, they could play that game, too, and say, know uh, they're not going real hard in practice, but the Eagles are hitching their wagon to somebody getting hurt in someone else's camp. Why can't one of their offensive linemen get hurt? And then we're in a better negotiating position. Uh, I- uh, God.
4: Well, what are you negotiating, though? You're in a better position, but what are you negotiating? You're still arguing about something that is kind of meaningless in offset, offset language. You, you could be arguing about the – the, the money is agreed upon. The money is structured. The money is built in. So you're not negotiating anything other than you better get your ass in there to rehab as quickly as possible because you got an opportunity to play. Remember, the Eagles have about 50 centers or 50 guys who can play center. Uh, Isaac Samalo, you mentioned. Uh, Nate Herbig can play center. Luke Tarigas here. Uh, they signed another kid out of Indiana, Henry Crider. They have the kid from uh, Washington. They signed last year. They have the most centers of anybody in football. Um, so I don't. There, there's no real leverage to that happening other than Landon is good enough to where he's going to be in the conversation to start if any of those uh, interior offensive linemen get injured. Any of them. He'd be the first guy. But he's got to be ready to go. He, he tore his ACL in December. That's very true. He's probably not going to be ready until deep in camp, best case scenario, to play, to be clear for contact. And he could be on the pup list to start the season. But the quicker he gets back, the quicker he's in that conversation. But the Eagles, they have a lot of depth on the offensive line.
3: Uh, they got numbers, but they have quality. That we won't know until the season actually gets here. I, I wanted to bring this up with you because I saw it yesterday and it intrigued me greatly. We know the ESPN is the broadcast outlet for <coughs> Monday Night Football. Did the Eagles have a Monday night game this year? Dallas. It, the Dallas game. They got yeah. Thursday night. Is the, the Patriots on a Thursday night? Uh, the Bucs Not the Patriots, uh, the Buccaneers. Yeah. Brady, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Is Tom Brady on the Thursday night game with yes. the Eagles? Yes, yes. Uh, and I mean, that's why I
4: said the Eagles used to be a marquee team. They have two primetime windows, and they're the other team at both of those windows. Dallas is carrying them. We all know about the Cowboys, America's team, blah, blah, blah. And then you got the Super Bowl champions, who guess what? Tom Brady carries everybody. You, you ain't the marquee team. And that's why Jeffrey Lord should be on hard knocks. Gotcha.
3: And, oh, by the way, um, when I tell this tale, I'll tell you, I don't think this is going to include the Eagles game. So if you're going to be watching this stuff, you're going to have to watch on a week that the Eagles aren't involved on Monday night. Cause they only have ones. And the new broadcast for Monday night football is only going to be up. I think it's 10 times a tree. I got to reread the story again now, or maybe it's 10 times a year. It's not going to be every week of the season. It's There's an going
4: alternative broadcast,
3: alternative Monday night broadcast on an ESPN outlet. Cause ESPN, controls the broadcast of Monday Night Football. When you get the package, you control it. You can do what you want with it, um, but it is yours. No other outlet can broadcast on that night other than you. Well, ESPN is adding to their broadcast, not just Steve Bleakby and um, uh, Lewis Riddick and Greasy as the uh, three-man booth for Monday Night Football. They're going to continue to do it, but they're going to have an alternative broadcast On another outlet, could be ESPN2, could be on their stream. They're going to have a team that will include Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, and a third-to-be-determined member of the booth. So this truly is an alternate broadcast team for Monday Night Games. And it's not going to be an every-week thing. It's going to be an occasional thing which is just flat out weird. I know that they've had some success with doing the uh, certain aspects of getting the national championship on the football level where they've got four or five different channels dedicated to the game, different broadcast teams, studio shows that are breaking down film and numbers while the game's ongoing. And they've had some success with it. It's certainly Allows them to flex their broadcast muscles and show how good they are at all these different things. But don't you need just one broadcast of Monday Night Football? Do we really nah. need a second one? I'm a big Peyton Manning fan, was it a player? M is a broadcaster. It's Peyton Play stuff has been uh, entertaining and phenomenal. Uh, he's been long speculated to be a guy who's going to be the lead uh, analyst in a booth someday. And he's put himself in a position where he gets to basically pick and choose how much he wants to do. And he's doing this with ESPN again. Will you be turning to the Manning brothers alternate uh, broadcast when Monday night football is on more than one
4: network? Probably not. I mean, I'm going to be honest, probably not. Um, But Jody, everybody, and this goes beyond the NFL, this goes to television as a whole, and particularly sports television. Everybody is trying, they don't, they have old school people like us. We want to watch the damn game on the TV. Tell us where to go. Uh, You have this new generation that consumes things in a different way. Everybody's trying to figure out how to get these people, how to get these people. And more so than even watching clips on Twitter or YouTube or where people are watching this show and subscribe to the Jacob Media channel and all that stuff everybody even the nfl is trying to get to it they did the thing with nickelodeon to try to get younger viewers which was actually a little bit of a success that to me makes more sense than two football two is differing now if you have different angles and they have as you mentioned with the national championship and they have the channel with the alternative views maybe i can understand that but if you're just bringing oh the mannings are football royalty Watch them instead of uh, Riddick and, and, and Steve Levy. You know, that to me is the same thing. Okay, you, you're you going to split the audience you already have, and, and it's not really adding anything unless people like Peyton Manning so much they want to they look at him, or Giants fans want to hear what Eli Manning has to say. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's just a Manning thing, and they're like, uh, let's throw it out there. I I think the Nickelodeon, some things make sense to me. Like you're trying to get a different audience. I get that. I don't think you're getting a different audience. You're just splitting the audience you do have.
3: Right. And that would annoy me greatly. I uh, actually know Steve Levy from 30 years ago. As a matter of fact, Levy and I worked together at uh, FAN before. (laughs) He went up to ESPN. Uh, So Steve's a longtime friend. I root for him. I love the guy. Always have, always will. They're undercutting him. How do you yeah. not bring, how do you bring in Peyton Manning? And go. Oh, by the way, Stevie, we need you to hold your usual Monday night ratings, which aren't great, which always pale in comparison to Sunday night football. Uh, it's just unfair to those guys to say, yeah, we want you to get just as many people. But oh, by the way, the Manning guy's going to bring in this Unforeseen audience that that we know is out there that doesn't watch football on Monday night. Yeah, right. Who's not watching Monday night football yeah. to begin with, anyway? Who's going to watch a football game on a Monday night? But they think that it's gonna work with these other guys. It just doesn't make any sense. And I don't want to do this, it's bad mouthing of Peyton Manning. I think Manning is great, but I just think for ESPN it's them being greedy that they think they can get every last person on the face of the earth. The uh, political wants to turn off either Fox News or MSNBC. Not happening. They're not, not coming over to not, watch football on not, Monday night. Not just, not just to Manning's doing now. It.
4: Well, I will say if it, if it goes down like you just speculated, and they're expecting uh, Steve Levy and those guys to have the same ratings, and they don't know they're splitting their audience. Yeah, that's bad. I think they got to know that. If they don't know that. Mm, Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they're trying to accomplish. As I said, and I used the Nickelodeon thing as an example, that's bringing in a new audience. That's bringing in a new audience. Kids might sit there with their parents and watch for a few minutes. You're getting more eyeballs. You're just splitting the fans you have that are going to watch the game, and somebody might say, oh, let me check out Peyton Manning instead of Lewis Riddick and and Steve Levy and Greasy. Yeah, I mean, if ESPN doesn't know that, they need different people running ESPN. They gotta, they gotta figure that out pretty quickly. And I don't think. tell me about success because that that company's been uh, look, they're a monster, but they haven't been going in a positive direction for years now. I still think they're
3: pretty damn smart, uh, but it has become a fractured audience and they've been outside the fracture as much as everybody, but they're trying to get involved in the streaming stuff too with ESPN Plus, (laughs) and I guess this is another attempt at it, uh, but it's just you and I are on the same page here. It's one football-watching audience. If you want to split it up, that's fine. If you're eventually going to make the Mannings into a pay-per-view type thing, put it on ESPN Plus, which uh, you gotta pay for plus, and that is going to add subscribers on ESPN Plus. Maybe I don't really think so. I think people just watch Steve Levy. Uh if if they're if they haven't already bought ESPN Plus, I don't think they're going to buy ESPN Plus just to get the Mannings broadcast on Monday Night Football. That's just a sports consumer from your pal
4: Jody McDonald TV executives are like newspaper executives. They were regarded as smart one time as well. They are way behind the curve. They have no idea how to get this younger audience, Jody. No idea. And everybody's scrambling. And nobody. They talk like they know, but nobody has figured it out to date. And I do a lot of stuff with TV ratings, and nobody has been able to figure this out. Agreed. Nobody. John McMullen, Jody
3: McDonald, your Mac and Mac guys. All right, uh, we got one more guest to come your way. Another uh, fun national guest. Uh B Be- Adam Beasley from uh, uh he's actually a freelance guy these days. He's doing some work for the Pro uh, Football
4: Network Pro Football Miami Network. Herald. So you get your two questions in. Adam uh covered the Dolphins for a long time with the Miami Herald. Uh now he's working for the Pro Football Network. So as a national guy. So he he is really plugged into the Dolphins. So we'll get all our Tua questions, all our Deshaun Watson questions answered.
3: Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'll make a prediction right now. He's not going to have the answer either. Because I tried <laughs> five different guys this year to definitively tell me, was it Tua because he wasn't good enough and they didn't have the nerve to have him throw the ball down the field? Or was it just the fact well, that he Well, we'll be closer.
4: Fight. We'll be closer to that. How's good. that? We'll
3: a little bit close. Adam be Beasley's going to join us coming up next here on Birds 365.
5: I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things.
0: Joining in.
5: Decisions. The dark. The dark.
2: But I once heard
0: someone say.
5: But as I always say,
0: it's okay to be afraid.
5: As long as
2: you face the fear
0: and keep moving forward wherever you are in life.
7: Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer and soon, it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and What's that? Huck and fye. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect
2: place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all.
5: It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
3: Appreciate you being part of Birds 365 on this now just one week till camp opens, Tuesday affair with Mac Mac, McMullen and McDonald. Oh, we have a third participant jumping in with us. Uh, guys have been covering the elite for a while and is doing so these days for the pro football network. Adam Beasley joins
4: us here on birds. Three Sixty Five.
1: Adam, how you doing? Big guy. Good morning. How's PA? I'm from up there. You know?
4: Yeah. It, well, Miami's better. Adam, are you still in <laughs> Miami? <laughs> so no, that's number one. And I want to I start there with you because obviously you have a long history with the Dolphins, but I saw you also wrote about Tua and the uncertainty, which is, you know, kind of tells you a lot about the modern NFL because this is a high-level pick coming off a rookie season, which has obviously struggled a little bit, but there's the Deshaun Watson whispers and they reach from Houston to South Beach up to here because the Eagles are another team who are expected to be in that mix. Where is Tua with the Miami Dolphins right now?
1: Better, but not arrived yet. And I think that's the biggest issue is that they are in year three, of this rebuild now. Um, and certainly it's been a, a ahead of schedule. No one expected five and 11 the first year with one of the worst rosters in football. 10 and six was kind of like found gold last year, although that was mostly Ryan Fitzpatrick and Xavier Howard's doing, but they put, they, they invested a top five pick into a, And you do that with the hope that he's not only a starter, but a Hall of Famer, a multiple time Pro Bowl or all pro. And the issue is we just have not seen any glimpses of that yet. We've seen glimpses of a guy that can be a pretty solid pro that can certainly take care of the football and manage the game and put you in position to win. But as you guys know, in today's NFL, you need a quarterback in the fourth quarter that's going to go out and win the game for you. And there were a lot of questions this first year, whether or not he had the temperament to make those throws. He did it at Alabama for some reason. The NFL was, was a stumbling block for him mentally. He just couldn't make those throws in clutch times as a rookie. He has to get past that. And the Dolphins, if they're going to go anywhere this year, assuming they don't trade for Watson, need him to do that for them.
3: See, I love the fact that you went to, uh, for some reason, in other words, we don't really know yet why Tua threw the ball two yards at a time last year. I've had three or four or four or five different guests on to say, well, was it Tua? Was he just afraid to do it? Was he incapable of doing it? Was it the Dolphins coaching that didn't want to take the champs and put him out there and have him throw him pick so everything was safe, 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 safe? I, no one has ever declared and go, no, it was the coaching. No, it was Tua. He couldn't throw it more than two yards. I'm taking it you're not going to do that for me either. and Tell me which of the two was the driving force as to why Tua played as safe football as he
1: did last year. Well, there are a lot of factors involved, and I think one that can't be overlooked is the condition of his body last year. He was still broken. I mean, he was not totally fixed yet. Uh, He was all arms. We watch his throws. He had no torque, no hip, no pliability, and it was – Kind of like when you short arm a golf shot, that was all of his passes because he just didn't have confidence in his body. The people you talk to, the people that have trained him in the past six, eight months, say that's no longer the case. And he says he feels as good as he has uh, since before the injury. So that alone will help. But I also think that there is a mental aspect here. The team did not totally trust him in 2020, as evidenced by the fact that after naming him the starter, they pulled him from games not once, but twice. So there was some level of confidence that was shaken there on his end. Certainly not a total degree of confidence on the coaching side uh, in what he could do. Uh, you know, Chan Gailey is now gone. He, is the, he was the offensive coordinator last year. He came out of retirement for all of one season, and it didn't go well. He and Tua never clicked. The Dolphins now have a coordinator-by-committee situation. George Godsey, who has experience calling plays with the Texans a few years back, and Eric which has great who has great respect around the league for his ability coach a running game. The two of them have to come up with a system that maximizes Tua's ability. And not only does that, but instills the confidence in him that allows him to go make those throws. I think that was the big missing piece last year.
4: Now it's not fair, Adam, but you know this league and fans tend to look at everything in a vacuum. And you see a, a quarterback like Justin Herbert go after Tua and have such success early in the different situation. It's apples and Oranges, not even, it's, it's not a fair comparison. But nonetheless, it's what players have to deal with. We're doing it, Philadelphia, oh, with Jalen Rager and Justin Jefferson. It's not Jalen Rager's fault that Justin Jefferson went nuts with a high-volume quarterback in Minnesota. So how much do you think that kind of stuff weighs onto it? And then we do have to bring up Deshaun Watson at some point. Obviously, there's uncertainty with Deshaun Watson. Nobody can move. On Deshaun Watson right now but the lingering doubts in Miami it seems similar here to Philadelphia in that they won't stop people keep talking about Deshaun Watson in Miami
1: the only way it's going to stop is for him to go out and play well and immediately well for him to get out of the gate really fast and 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 just shut up everybody who has those doubts if that doesn't happen and the Deshaun Watson situation drags on maybe to the trade deadline and there's finally some resolution, it would not at all surprise me if if the Dolphins make a move then or then again after the season when, you know, hopefully, if if you're Deshaun Watson, this has all gone away. But you're right, though. This is a massive unknown. Um, In addition to the, the pending lawsuits of over 20 accusers, he has two dueling investigations, one with the NFL and one with Houston police. And any one of those three items could go sideways for him. And if that does, there will be no team that touches him. He'll be radioactive. So I, I, I understand that there is obviously still some interest by the Dolphins and how this will be resolved. They've been in on Deshaun Watson since the very beginning, since he made it clear he wanted out. But I, I can't see them taking a risk. And to be honest, guys, from what I'm hearing – I think the league's not going to allow a team to make a risk. I, from from my understanding, the rumors around the league, and this is conspiracy theory, perhaps, but I think there is a, a kernel of truth to it that the league is like, nope, we're not going to okay any trade until this is all resolved. And it's smart because there's no guarantee that Goodell mm-hmm. is going to let him play this year. I mean, there's been a lot of talk: is he going to be suspended? A suspension will not happen until all or not, or at least all, most of the facts are known. But there is another kind of card the deck that Goodell could play, and that's the commissioner's exemplus, and that's paid leave, that they could just shut Deshaun Watson down for the season until this investigation runs its course. Now, certainly, that's a tough precedent to set for a guy who hasn't even been charged, right? I mean, it, there's been no charges, and this is, at this point, just a lawsuit. It's, an, it's a civil accusation. Now, granted, it's a avalanche of, 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 of allegations, not just one, so the you know, you tend to be more sympathetic to, to the 22 people that are making those charges. But regardless, for for the commissioner to shut down one of the faces of the, of the league, I mean, keep, keep in mind, this isn't just some role player. This is one of the five best players in the National Football League. To shut him down for a year without a single criminal charge and with just a pending lawsuit, that, that would set a tough precedent as well. So I, I, I think, in his heart of hearts, Goodell's is probably hoping somebody – does the dirty work for him either either makes a criminal charge in the, in the case of Houston which would certainly shut you know Deshaun Watson down give them reason to suspend him give him reason to put him on the exempt list or this lawsuit gets settled but again from running here that's a that's a long way off that's not going to happen the next day or two so it's a tough spot for the league they do not obviously want to put a guy out there who might be a serial abuser and that's what the accusations are but they also there there has to be some benefit of the doubt as well given to a to a player that by and large, before this incident, has had a sterling reputation around the league. We really haven't seen anything like this, uh, at least in my 10 years covering the NFL.
3: Speaking of a tough decision the league's got to make, it came to light within the last week to 10 days that Tom Brady won the Super Bowl this year with a torn MCL. And then we found out he had it sometime during the season. And no, he had it almost the entire season. Next week, we may find out he tore his uh, MCL in second grade. And he's been playing with it his entire (laughs) time as the legend of Brady continues to grow. Uh, at, At the very least, there's going to be some action from the NFL because Brady never showed up on an injured list all year long. And if this report is accurate, and Brady hasn't commented on it, we got to wait for that. Their camp will also be opening up at some point. Brady's got to talk to the media, and that's the first question that's going to be asked. Not, hey, how about when you threw that trophy, Tom? No, when did you tear your MCL? The the Bucs never put him on the injured list, and there are stipulations in place that you have to do that in the National Football League. And it seems like the Bucs just completely disregarded them they're the Super Bowl champions. The NFL wants to put them front and center and have Tom Brady be a face of the league. But if they're going to need to punish him, how is Roger Goodell and the league going to handle that? Because it sounds like the Bucs just laughed
1: off a pretty big requirement they were supposed to be dealing with last year. Yeah, I totally agree. If you're the NFL, you have to have this 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 viewpoint. Either we have a policy or we don't. There can't be a policy for 31 teams and 52 players and a policy for one player. There has to be uniformity across the league. And, 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 and guys, my understanding of the rule is this, if you receive treatment throughout the course of the week on an injury, even if there's a 100% chance that he's going to play in the game, but if there is treatment given to that, that injury, he should and and must appear on that injury report. I, I mean, again, I, I wasn't inside the training room in Tampa Bay but I can't see a scenario in which a guy's playing with a torn MCL isn't in, and is not at the very least getting treatment. Now, again, right. he made every single start, right? He didn't miss a start. I don't even know if he missed any snaps, he, but regardless, that's what the policy is. And the policy exists for this reason, obviously competitive balance, right. And there has to be fairness in the league that every team has to have this, be playing from the same playing field. And, 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 you know, you go back to his Patriot days and, deflating footballs and spying on sidelines and things like that, Brady has benefited from a skirting of the rules at the very least. Uh, but I think it's a broader issue now because the league has embraced full, with, with both arms, squeeze as tight as they can, gambling. And that's the biggest reason these injury reports exist, because there has to be a, you know, you have to have belief in the integrity of the, of the game, or else it's going to be a rigged system. And again, so I I think the legal will and must come down on the Buccaneers in some fashion. Of course, they're not going to take Lombardi trophy away, but I I could see a loss of draft picks, a pretty stiff fine, because this just wasn't a one-week mess up, guys. If, If the reports are true, and he was playing with a fully torn MCL for all 16 games of the regular season, and again, four games in the postseason and never once was it reported, that is absolutely a punishable offense.
4: Adam, I want to talk to you about another high-profile quarterback who has been the story probably in the NFL, and that's the complicated Bella in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers. We're getting closer and closer. It's gotten to the point where people in Green Bay are talking about a deep clean in his house being a positive sign. They're getting it ready for A-Rod to return Anybody who's been around this league, Adam, you know he's he's a headstrong guy. He seems to have decided he doesn't want to play in Green Bay. Does he have any other options? Sure. Either play in Green Bay or get back twenty two million dollars, which he could probably do, but i have yet to meet the person that wants to cut that check and give money back.
1: Yeah, but you have you met Aaron Rodgers? No, I mean he, I have met him, but he is I, a he is a different kind of guy yeah. to your point. Um, and he has, I presume, he made some savvy business decisions over the course of his long career, and he's not going to have to worry about money. Plus, I hear he has a uh, pretty rich fiance as well, so I don't think finances are going to be an issue in that household. Uh, I, I could totally see him retiring. I could totally see him if, if if the Packers do not concede, if the Packers force him to play for them in 2021. Maybe he just hangs it up. I don't think it's the likely scenario, but I think – I don't think you can dismiss it out of hand. He is a guy that is petty in a great way because the great I – mean, Michael Jordan was as petty as it comes, but he, he holds grudges. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there's a there's a friend in the national media I have who who made some, I guess, not-so-flattering comments about him draft night, and this was 15 years ago or whatever. The dude remembered it a decade later. So it, it's – slights are not going to go away and he feels like he's been slighted and abused and mistreated by an organization that he's kept in the national limelight and probably helped double or triple their value in the last 15 years just by his greatness so yeah no I I don't think it's the most likely outcome that Aaron Rodgers sits out 20 and 21 but if the Packers really dig in and he is adamant that he wants out I don't think you can dismiss it out of hand
3: I Let me ask you about, and it's a phrase that I don't like to use, but I got so used to using it last year I can't get away from it, and it's still applicable this year. The NFC least, because that's what the division was when you don't have a team above 500, taking it down. Uh, while I think every, I know everyone has made moves, and most of them, at least on paper, look like they're improvements for the team. I still don't love the division. I don't know that there's a really good team in this division at all. That's the thing that Eagle fans are hanging their hopes on more than anything else is, hey, we're still in a bad division. So we really don't have to be great to have a decent season. Your offseason read on the NFC least. Did one team improve more than the others? Did one eh, take a step back more than the others? How do you see the
1: NFC East? I'm going to have to come after you guys. I mean, you're just (laughs) sleeping on Fitzmagic.
4: That's okay. what I said, Adam. I, I, you're joking, but I, I think he can play to a, at least a degree with that defense. Where I, I look at Washington and say it's the most complete team in the division. Oh,
1: without question. No, no. I, 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 and and it's, of course it's tongue in cheek, but yeah. I absolutely think he is good enough to lead them to a division crown this year. I certainly we saw what all it took last year. And again, the the Cowboys are going to be better because they're going to have Dak back, back and we'll see what Danny Dimes does in New York. I do have some bad news for Eagles fans. I think it's not even going to be close that they're going to be the worst team in the Apes in the NFC. I I, I I I think you this is what, a 17 game season this year. I think six and 11 is the ceiling for that franchise, which is fine, which is yeah. totally fine because the plan is to go draft a quarterback next year if they don't trade for Deshaun Watson. So it's totally cool because they have what three first round picks next year. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to be if you're looking for a quarterback in the draft. You don't want to be nine and eight. That's purgatory. That's that's not where you want to be. So, you know, for the betterment of the long-term health of the franchise, five and 12, six and 11 won't be a terrible thing because they'll have assets. They can move up. They can do whatever they want. Um, But yeah, no, I, I, if, if I were to, you know, if I were a betting man, I would say it's going to come down between the the Redskins and the Cowboys. I got real concerns about Zeke guys. I mean, I I don't know. That contract could look an absolute, like a, like a complete joke in two years. Like they made one of the worst decisions that that they could have be giving that kind of money to a running back. And, he already looked like he lost some burst last year. We'll see if yeah. it's back this year. Um, but, no, I think it's I think it's the Washington football team, and I think it's the Dallas Cowboys, the two teams that are going to be battling out for the division championship.
4: You know, before you came on, Adam, we had Mike Tanier from Football Outsiders, and he had mentioned – I didn't think about this before, but you had Ryan up close in Miami. You saw him for a little bit. Um when you have the Fitz magic and everybody sees it, everybody gets hyped up, hyped up with Ryan. Then you have the Fitz tragic, and then he gets benched. We never see the get the get, see the guy if he can bounce back. I think he's finally going to get an opportunity. Obviously, it's late in his career, but let's see if he can bounce back from the Fitz tragic, and maybe we can get some kind of competent level of quarterback play. And I think that would be enough in this division, as you point out.
1: Yeah, I would largely agree. I think last year what happened to Ryan was unfair. And again, I understand why it happened. But they benched the dude after six games, and they had won three out of four at that point. And the offense was playing pretty good. And they went to a guy who was clearly not ready. And admittedly not ready at this point. I mean, he, he said he didn't know the playbook well enough last year. He's acknowledged that his body wasn't right. The, the, the Dolphins made a real concerted effort to get him snaps because they think it's going to help him this year. And they kind of sacrificed some of the present. I don't think if it's, if it's Matt Fitzpatrick, I almost called him Fitz magic again. Fitzpatrick uh, <laughs> would have lost uh, that Broncos game that cost them a spot in the playoffs, I think two thirds of the way through the season. So I don't think he needs to bounce back. I think he's going to be fine. I think he like, yeah, quarterbacks have ups and downs, uh, but he, he, I mean, he's going to be fine. He's has got, he, People – he jokes – he says this and people joke, but it's the truth. Like, he's playing better now than he ever has in his career. Now, again, I don't know the exact situation he's walking into in Washington. Um, You know, last year he played for, as I mentioned, Chan Gailey, who was basically like a father figure to him. I mean, they were very, very close. Maybe he doesn't have that kind of, you know, rapport with with the coaching staff in Washington. But regardless, he has the ability and he's got the gumption. I think that's the biggest thing is that he has the guts to make throws – Like you look up these next-gen stats and, you know, contested throws, the percentage, and he was like one or two in the league. Dolphins receivers weren't getting open last year. There wasn't a great deal of separation, and he was still lighting it up when he was on the field. Yes, he's going to have bad games, but I think he was top eight, if not top five in QBR last year. I mean, he he had a good season in the time he was on the field. I don't think there's any reason to doubt that that that'll continue in Washington. Now, maybe, you know, as I mentioned, the situation's going to be a little bit different. But he gives them a chance to win this year. There's no doubt in my mind.
3: you went there, I'm going to ask you to follow up about the Eagles and them being the last place team in the NFC leagues. You might be right. Um, but they're, <laughs> they're going to go in another direction at quarterback if Jalen Hurts isn't good enough to get him six or seven wins. Who's that guy in college football that they're looking to get their hands on? Last year was really easy. Trevor Lawrence, he's a standout. Everybody and the Jets screwed up by winning games late that they didn't get him. I follow college football pretty closely, and that's one of the things I always keep an eye on. The next crop of quarterbacks coming out, I'm not wowed by any of them. Sam Howell looked pretty good last year for Carolina, but again, uh, he's not uh, Trevor Lawrence Who's that guy that they're going to be in position to put a package together and be able to get their hands on and get their next franchise quarterback if you've got a grasp on this year's quarterback class?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very, very early, guys. And I, you know, my expertise is, is the NFL. Certainly the draft is a big part of it, but we're early in this process. I don't think a single soul two years ago would have said Joey Burrow was going to be that guy. So there's a lot of football to be played. You mentioned Sam Howe. Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma, maybe he's that guy. I mean, there are, every single year there are quarterbacks that emerge. Now, some of them get overdrafted, and I think a couple did this past you know, April. I think there are going to be some that teams reach for. Uh, but there will be one or two quarterbacks that come out of the 2022 draft that are difference makers for their team. It's, all, it's incumbent on the Eagles to find that guy. And, again, I'm, I think it's unfair to, to Hurts that we're totally writing him off. But, look – You don't pick up three first round picks in a draft without signaling to the world that you're interested in getting a quarterback in that draft. So uh, Hertz has a Herculean task ahead of him to keep that job for the long term. Uh, But I'm not worried that a quarterback will, will not emerge for the Eagles in the 2022 draft. It happens every single year. We just have to see how it plays
4: out. Yeah, you're right, Adam. I, you bring up Joe Barrow. This this year would have been Zach Wilson. Somebody always sort of develops and and comes out of the woodwork. I, I do want to ask you about this league as a whole with young quarterbacks, and we've seen it with the Jets. They draft Sam Darnold, top five player. A couple of years later, the top, they're drafting the top five quarterback. They're moving him. Uh, we're talking about Tua in Miami in this conversation. They're already thinking about, well, Liv, Deshaun Watson, and all blah, blah, blah. Here with the Eagles, Jalen Hurts has got one chance to prove himself as a developmental quarterback. And as you mentioned, they've signaled to the world, he's not going to be a long-term quarterback, bottom line. Do you think this league is too quick with young quarterbacks? There is a developmental phase, and it seems like guys are – willing to pull the plug earlier and earlier and earlier. Is that fair?
1: No, it's not fair, but it's the reality. And here's, and here's why it's a reality. Um, first of all, coaches have very short sh- shelf lives, so they don't want to hitch their wagon to a guy that they think is going to get him fired, right? I mean, th- that's what happened in Miami. Two different coaches got fired because of Ryan Tannehill. And now he's gone on to have an excellent post-Dolphins career, but regardless – the, the, the Dolphins waited way too long to move on from him. Um, but also like these guys have been passing since they were like nine years old and these passing camps they go to in high school, they're elite. I mean, I, it's called elite, but it's legit. I mean, they, they the skills that they acquired at a very young age allows these quarterbacks to have success at an, at an early age in the NFL. And you kind of know pretty quickly whether a guy has it or he doesn't These these coaches see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of practice reps. You see them in games. You see them in preseason games in the classroom. If a guy's just not getting it mentally, he's not, it's not going to translate to the field. And I think one other thing is, has, has, has one other factor has, has made this new dynamic fellows. And it's just the, the the rookie wage scale before, if you committed to a quarterback in the first round, he was on your books, whether you want him to be or not. Now teams can move on with relatively little pain. And so, why would you extend, you know, a window of a quarterback you don't have any faith in, or uh, not a ton of faith in, uh, if, you know, it's going to cost you maybe ten million dollars against the cap to move on, and you have you're in position to draft another one the next year because they, as we talk about, they just keep churning out because we're in the golden age of passers now, and it's because these guys have been developed at such an early age and these college systems they're playing in. I mean, the the, the wishbone's dead and gone in college football. Yeah. They're going all over the place. So no, I mean it's not fair to the player, and there are, you know, exceptions that disprove the rule as to why maybe you should be a little bit more patient. But by and large, what was I think it was a Bill Parcells um, saying that you know if a puppy doesn't bark early on, he's not going to bark when he's a big dog. (laughs) So I I I think I think there's a lot of truth to that. So you know, is it possible the Dolphins would move on from two and someday regret it? Sure. But if he doesn't show them what they need in training camp preseason and early in the season, what gives them any level of confidence that 2022 is going to be any different? Again, yeah. might not be fair, but it's just how certainly with, with a franchise like the dolphins, it has not won a playoff game in 20 years. Fellas.
4: Now, and- real quick, uh, just to follow up on that, because I think you made an interesting point, Adam, with the uh, rookie wage scale. Um, the Rams set a dead money record with Jared Goff that the Eagles exploded when they got rid of Carson Wentz. Uh, so they were on their second contracts. I look at I look at a guy like Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, who to me is a good quarterback. But you're probably not going to win, get to your ultimate goals with, with Kirk Cousins. But you got to pay him $30 million a year because he puts up the numbers. He, he plays at a high level. He can throw the football. So what's better, turning it over, constantly churning it on those rookie contracts, or paying guys who are in the Kirk Cousins realm $30 million? The worst
1: place you can be in the NFL is in the middle. Purgatory is brutal. Because I agree with you, I don't think Kirk Cousins will ever win the Super Bowl, but he's certainly good enough to get them to 10 or 11 wins and and, and get to the playoffs that's great. If that's all you want to do, no team. Well, I'm not going to say that because there are some teams that are, would be okay with a slightly above average, but very few teams want that. Their, their number one and only goal is to win a title. Um, So I'm of the opinion. And I think I've made it pretty clear in the segment that, you know, if you're better off cutting a guy a year too early than a year too late, you really are. And if, if you, certainly if you're a coach or a GM that's worried about your job security, Yes. It's hard to explain a miss at number five. If you have to explain a miss in two is not good. And again, I'm not saying that's going to be the case. He might have a great year this year, but just for the sake of this argument, let's say he doesn't pan out. they are a lot better moving on a year too early and saying, okay, we made a mistake, but here's how we're going to fix it. Then we made a mistake and we doubled down on it and doubling down is what gets guys fired. So um, it's a whole nother world. Like the NFL has totally changed. And I agree with you like 10, 15 years ago, The idea that with have 10 starts, nine starts, something like that, you would think about even considering trading for another quarterback after using a top-five pick on him. You just couldn't afford to do it. But because of how the finances of the NFL work and certainly how short of a window teams have, um, coaches have, and GMs have to win, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Dolphins make a move.
3: Adam, last thing for me. I'm going to tap into your NFL rumors uh sessions that you're getting when you talk to your guys around the league a couple of years ago the nfl designated and basically let everybody know we're going to ask our referees to be a little bit more diligent about holding that we're going to try and hold the offensive linemen uh to a little higher standards and we're gonna inform our referees of doing that and throughout the preseason. Flags for holding every friggin' play. You couldn't even watch a preseason game because they were trying to make a point. Uh, Same thing a couple of years ago with the can't use the tip of your helmet to tackle. Every other play was illegal use of helmets, uh, unprotected player. And I get it that the NFL wants to try and establish it and get it in the mindset. And then they don't call it as much when the season actually starts. They don't care about ruining someone trying to watch a preseason game. Are you hearing any whispers that the NFL is trying to set a precedent, put something, plant a seed in players' minds this year, and using the referee as a vehicle for 2021?
1: Yeah, I, I don't have anything for you on that, guys. I mean, you're right. Every year there is That's something. That's good. By the way, thank thank you for saying that, because it annoys the snot out of me
3: whenever they do this. So thank you for telling me you don't know anything about anything coming up. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs>
1: Pastor pass interference is always going to be the, I think at some point they need to do away with the automatic spot of the foul pass interference. And that's not the question you asked, but it's the question I'm going to answer
3: okay. because that
1: is uh, a ticky tack play could change a game and that should never be, that should never be what happens. So uh, I think there will be continued and maybe expanded focus on a uh, pass interference. They tried the replay it certainly didn't work. But that I think that to me is one of the biggest issues the league has to address, where where entire seasons can be wrecked by a judgment call that's ticky tack, and you and and and, if, and, if, and a receiver really has no chance to make a score a touchdown on a play. You shouldn't give them a touchdown. You should you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't give them the ball at the one foot line. So again, that's not what you asked, but that's what I told you.
4: Adam, read Adam at ProFootballNetwork.com before you get out of here, Adam. Everybody knows Kansas city, Tampa Bay, Buffalo, the contenders. Give me, give me one surprise team. You might. Think oh, might a
1: surprise I mean, the chargers, they got a defensive minded coach now with one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. He had the best statistical season. It feels like we say the chargers every year and they never work, but yeah. I think something's different going on there. So, uh, you know, in the, 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 the AFC, I'll say the chargers. NFC is tough. Cause the NFC stinks, right? I mean, <laughs> tell me five good teams in that conference and, you might be stretching for the fifth. So um, we'll see how it pans out. We have no idea the quarterback's going to be in Green Bay at this point. Detroit's no good. You know, maybe Justin Fields does something with Chicago, but certainly that's a franchise that needs to win and win now. So I could see them playing him early, and if he has success, maybe that's a team that comes out and surprises some people.
3: I'd like to hear that about Justin Fields. been on his bandwagon for a couple of years. Just to beware the Cardinals. Most people picking them for fourth in the NFC West. And I think they're being woefully underrated. Adam, I good look stuff. at
4: that Minnesota defense. I'm going to throw oh, that to you, Neil Mr. He used and to cover Minnesota. So always, he defaults to Minnesota. NFL. Don't even listen
3: to him. Adam. Minnesota's going
4: nowhere. Patrick no Peterson. Watch watch that defense. top by. Man, I feel
3: like I'm back in Uh, Philly, guys. Adam, thank you for coming on. You know we're going to tap into you again as the season gets closer. Appreciate you joining us today. All right,
4: fellas.
3: Adam Beasley here with us on Burns 365. The
4: Minnesota homer, John McMullen. Last, Last in the division, Philadelphia Eagles. That's what you take out of that, Adam Beasley. He did did kind of put him in their yeah. place.
3: You got. Oh, continue. I don't
4: got to be the negative guy, can't you?
3: Right? Uh, no, you just have to jump on that Viking bandwagon. Yeah. Uh, John McMahon, Jody McDonald, sticking around. We'll come back. Put a bow on the show here on Birds Three Sixty Five.
0: I get scared sometimes.
5: Of a lot of things.
0: Joining in.
5: Decisions. The dark. The dark it's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at goarmy.com.
3: Coming down the home stretch to this edition of Birch 365. Just one week till camp opens. And you got to stay tuned because we're going to have Johnny McDonough at camp doing some stuff here on Bridge 365 next week. Should be fun. We'll give you more details as we get a little bit closer and John gets some more details. Um, You heard John just say he likes it when he doesn't have to play bad cop. When somebody else steps into the bad cop role, and Adam Beasley certainly did by saying 6-10 and is the high side for the Eagles this year. That was a little harsh. Uh, But he said one thing, and he was really good, that I just tremendously disagree with. And it annoys me when people say it, including Adam just now. Quote, unquote, there is always someone who jumps up and fills that role of franchise quarterback to be in the NFL draft. That's just not true. I give you examples from within the last 10 years, John. Two uh, 2014, three quarterbacks were taken in the first round. Off the top of your head, you got a clue?
4: What are we talking about? 2014.
3: 2014, there were
4: three quarterbacks Everything. drafted in the
3: first round. Everything runs together to me, Joe. right, you I, I'm going to give you a big time helping hand. At number three, the Jacksonville Jaguars selected. Got to be the Blake Bortles here. Blake Bortles, number three, Blake. Bortles at number twenty-two. The Cleveland Browns selected oh, Heisman Johnny Trophy winning
4: Johnny Mantel, Yeah,
3: Johnny football. How does NFL career go? And not at number well. th- at number thirty-two, give him credit for sticking around, but he's never been a star, and his career kind of got derailed by an injury. He could Teddy potentially start this year yeah, for the uh, thirty-two. Bridge water, not
1: 32. Not, but, but not a
3: franchise-changing no. quarterback. That's but, three guys, 2014. What happens if the 2021 class is
4: 2014 revisited? But here's what Adam was saying. Well, I'm, I'm speaking for Adam, but here's what I think Adam was saying. Blake Bortles was there. His point is, and he said, actually, some guys might get overdrafted. His point is somebody always gets pushed up the board. That was a bad year. You only had one guy, but you had one guy, they're going to pick one guy. You know, this year, this upcoming year, people are talking about, look, I guarantee, I'm going to guarantee it right here, and I'm going to do a victory lap in, in April. Sam Howell's going to the top 10. Spencer Rattler's going to the top 10. A lot of other guys I don't know. The the Malik Willis's of the world, the, the, the kid from Georgia uh, whose name escapes me. There's a lot of quarterbacks that could get pushed up. Those guys are going top 10. Now, That doesn't mean they're going to be successful, Jody, but they're going there. They're going top 10. I
3: don't care about where they're drafted. I care five years into their career. What have
4: they done? But his point was- means nothing if you can't play. His point is somebody's getting pushed up the board. Somebody's taking them. And that somebody is probably the Philadelphia Eagles unless they trade for Deshaun Watson. And, and, Jody, we, you and I have talked about this. We haven't talked about it for a while. But, you know, right after the draft, you have these influx of the goopy mock drafts, you know, a year out. Everybody at the Eagles, what they haven't taken, a quarterback. quarterback.
3: Yes, they a did. quarterback. And uh, I am not wowed. And, yes, Joe Burrow jumped up two years ago. He was a day three pick. Boom, he's the number one pick in the draft. Last year, Zach Wilson was going to be a day three pick. Boom, he's the number two pick in the draft. We still need to see what those two guys are. Just because you move up and uh, people are okay with uh, you being drafted very high where you're drafted. I want to know what happens five years down the road. What have you
4: accomplished? Well, yeah. Five I mean, that's, down the road? that's the trick. But Blake Bortles went number three. Shouldn't have, but he went number three. And as and a matter that's of fact, what, and we I, might be talking about uh, Keaton Slobus or Malik Willis saying, Oh, they want number three, and they might stink, but they're going number three, damn it, Jody. Somebody's going number three. You know, Howell's probably going one, or Rattler's going one, and then the other one's going two. But we'll see how it shakes out. A lot of
3: things can happen. I remember the 2014 draft because a buddy of mine called me in September, like first week of the season, and said, hey they got a kid at central Florida named Blake Bortles that nobody is talking about. And I'm telling you, it was the same guy who told me about Dante Culpepper who came out, uh, was a, uh, Bortles was South Florida and Dante was central Florida. I get them confused. I apologize. Um, but same thing. He actually told me, my, my scout down in Florida said Dante Culpepper had a better arm. They were, both,
4: they were both UCF. They're both central Both
3: Florida. UCF. Okay. Yeah. Um, Uh, He told me that Dante Culpepper had a better arm than Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning was the unquestioned number one pick. He was Trevor Lawrence during his day. I go, get out of here. Nobody can compete with Peyton Manning. He had had a a better arm. He He really could throw it. And I got on his bandwagon early because the scout gave it to me. And he said the same thing about Blake Bortles. So I started talking up Blake Bortles over and over and over and over again. I didn't think he was going to go number three. And then there's going to be a drop down to Johnny Manziel at 22. I was like, I know I've been telling you guys all year, Blake Bortles, Blake Bortles. He doesn't deserve to be the third pick in a draft. So, yes, we'll have fun analyzing the quarterbacks all year long because, yes, Jalen. We were probably
4: at Radio City Music Hall together and didn't even know it at the time. Really? In that draft. Yeah, I remember that that that, draft because Johnny Manziel.
3: I I was at Radio City Music Hall for that draft. Yes, I was. Uh, he is John McMullen. I am Jody McDon. We're actually running over. Uh, you got to get to work. It's past ten o'clock. Are we gotta keeping go. you from getting to work? Well, then we'll apologize and we'll come back and do three minutes last tomorrow. No, we won't. We'll do the entire two hours tomorrow. J Mac, I see you in twenty-two hours, buddy.
7: Thanks, Chevy. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media Channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.